0: Thanks so much for being at Faith Today, uh, whether you join us in person, whether you're joining us on the live stream. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Mike. I am one of the pastors on staff here, and uh, we're excited to be with you today. Now, uh, before we dive into um, message stuff, uh, we're going to take a minute and pray, and, and want to pray about two things in particular. Uh, want to pray specifically for the message that God meets us in that, and uh, works on our minds and our hearts through that but also want to pray for an event that we're going to be participating in as a church later this week. Uh, we partner here at Faith with a uh, ministry uh, called Another Way Pregnancy Center. And uh, I really appreciate Another Way for, for a number of reasons, two of them being this. Number one, uh, Another Way gets the theology right. In, in our culture today, we, we have a, um, a tendency at times to make a distinction between a child that is born and a child that is unborn. And the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible uses, in fact, the Bible uses both both the Old Testament and the New, it will use the same word to describe a child that is unborn as it will to describe a child that is born. Because that child is a child. Whether it's been born yet or not. Now, I appreciate that another way gets this, but even more so, I appreciate, appreciate that another way isn't just thinking right, they are doing right. They are, they are going out of their way to do good and to come alongside of women who have found themselves in an unplanned pregnancy and to help them, both before and after that child is born. And so they're, they're having their fall fundraising dinner, it's this Thursday. We are sponsoring a couple of tables there. I'm told we still have a few seats left for that. And so if you want to come, we would love to have you come. You can come for free. Now, it's a fundraising dinner, so th- their goal is that you don't get out of there for free, but that's whatever, you know. It's the way those work, okay? Um, so, if you want to come, uh, Kelly Lindman is going to be right outside these doors to the right at the community station after church. Get with her, and while supplies last, you can still join us. I'd love to have dinner with you Thursday and be part of that with you. So, let, let's pray for the event, for our time together, and then we'll jump into things. Father, um, we just pray for Thursday and for another way, and this fundraising dinner. Father, for some people, pregnancy is just this exciting time. It's something that we've hoped for and dreamed for and and even tried for. And it's just, it feels like a huge blessing. And for other people, it is a frightening and scary time with all kinds of uncertainty and unanswered questions. Father, thank you so much for another way. The ways that they seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a tangible way to women who are struggling. We just pray that you would provide and that you would help them with the ministry that they are engaged in this Thursday and and all year long. And just as we take time and we try and explore your truth for our lives today, I, I pray that you would meet us right where we're at. And speak to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I I remember where I was at when I got the news. My wife and my son had gone to the eye doctor for what they thought was going to be a routine exam and contacts. Uh, all, all our son 's life he had had visual issues, he was, you know was getting glasses, he was always saying they didn 't help. The glasses were getting discarded, and, and my wife was like, "Hey, you know we, we got to get him contacts that 's going to be the key and, and i 'll just be honest i wasn 't a fan of the idea of contacts at the age of thirteen. Our son was not the best at taking care of stuff, all right kind of goes with the kid. It's just 13, right? And so, and I'm like, why are we going to put all this money into contacts? He's not going to take care of him. And my wife is like, no, he's going into high school. This is going to be like his first, you know, experience in public school. We got to give him every advantage possible. I was like, okay, fine. We'll do the contacts. So they get home. My wife is not a very emotive, expressive person. And she is openly crying. Now, Before you correct me after church or send me a nasty connection card, all right, I know what I'm about to share next is not good, okay? This is not husband of the year, award-winning thoughts. I'm just being honest about what ran through my brain first, okay? So the first thing I think is, it's contacts. Why are you crying? It's not that big a deal. And then I thought, if the doctor said no to contacts, he's the villain and I win, right? Again, I know, not award-winning stuff, right? So fortunately, I had enough sense not to say what was running across the teleprompter of my mind, and the smart part of me caught up with the reactionary part of me, and I thought, I wonder if there's something bigger going on here, and there was. Doctor, you know, did this exam, and, and this doctor caught what all the other doctors previously had missed, and, and she ran a whole pile of tests that day, and said, hey, I can't give you a final diagnosis, but I'm pretty sure your son has a progressively degenerative eye disorder for which there's no treatment. And sure enough, we went specialists and all kinds of tests later and discovered our son has a X-linked degenerative eye disorder for which corrective lenses will not help and for which there is no treatment. And so my wife is telling me this, and again, just weeping as she's doing so, through the office door, I can see my son. And he's not doing well. Why would he be? At the age of 13, he's been given the news that his vision, which has always been bad, is only ever going to get worse. And they can't do anything. And in that moment, there's just, all these emotions that are just crashing down on me. I just felt sick to my stomach. And there's all the questions. You know, like, how's this going to impact our kid? How do we parent in light of this? And whenever you get something wrong as a parent, oh my goodness, your kids never let you live that down, right? Right? You know, you have to deal with all the questions. I told you I was right. Those glasses never helped. And this is why I always sit in front of the screen. And you guys always give me a hard time. And how you navigate that, you know? And then there's the questions like, where's God? Because maybe God didn't orchestrate this, but he sure enough let it happen. And how am I going to relate to God in light of what's unfolded here in my home? See, just stop. Like, have you ever been there? just had life punch you in the mouth. And here's the good news. If you haven't, you will be. It's coming. Congratulations that's just how life works. Sooner or later, it just punches us in the teeth. And when it does, we're left to figure out, what are we going to do? Specifically, what are we going to do with God? Because maybe he didn't orchestrate this in our lives, but he's guilty for having let it happen. How are we going to relate to him in light of this? Let me tell you something. Waiting to the moment of crisis to figure that out, that's a bad idea. Waiting, waiting until there's all this emotion and uncertainty and pain just screaming in your ears to try and answer that question, that's, that's not a good idea. The wise play is to decide beforehand when you have full access to all of your faculties and clear thinking, to decide beforehand how you're going to respond, to pre decide. See, if you just join us today in person online, that's where we're at. We are in the midst of a series that we've entitled Pre Decide. It is based off of a series by Pastor Craig Rochelle by the same title. And, and in this series, we're identifying six key areas in our lives where we would do well before the crisis strikes to decide who we want to be, who we long to be, what direction we want our lives to go in. Because here's the reality, The quality so often, the quality of the decisions that we make in a moment, it's going to impact, it's going to determine the quality of our lives moving forward. Yeah, we make our decisions, but more often than not, our decisions then in turn make us. And so, in this series, we're trying to figure out what does it look like for me in these important areas of my life to make quality decisions that will lead to a quality life, the kind of quality legacy that we long to leave behind. And this week, we're talking about what does it look like to predecide to be faithful, Go ahead and look at your neighbor and tell them, faithful. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> what, does it, what does it mean to be faithful? Well, really, it really kind of depends on the context that this term is getting used in. And in the context of our conversation today, to be faithful means that when life punches me in the mouth, as far as it comes to relating to God, I am going to choose faith. Or or we could put it this way, to be faithful means in the moment of crisis, we're going to choose to trust God. We're going to choose to believe God. We are going to choose to rely on God no matter what. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how painful it gets, no matter how confusing it gets, we are going to choose to trust that God knows what he is doing even though he's let this happen. We're going to choose to believe that God is who he says he is. That he is good, that he is loving, that he is present, that he is sovereign, even in the midst of the mess. And we are going to choose, rather than pull back and deny God is there, we're going to choose to lean in even harder and rely on him. No matter what. Now we hear this and we think, okay, That sounds pretty virtuous. But then we wonder is that even possible? Like, is it really even possible for regular people like us to do that? Listen to me, please. Yes, it is. It is possible for you and for me to choose faith. In fact, in the biographies, of Jesus' life. You have just a host of examples of people who chose to be faithful. Today, we're going to look at a few of them and just, just see what faith could look like for you and for me. The first one comes from Luke's biography of Jesus' life, and it starts with this guy who's, who we're going to call the centurion centurion he has a number of people who work for him one of whom he cares deeply about and one of whom is really sick like we don't know if this guy's going to get better or not kind of sick and and luke tells us that the centurion sent the elders of the jews to jesus to ask them to come and help his servant now that should grab our attention the, the centurion, he is a soldier responsible for a host of other soldiers that are there in Israel actively oppressing the Jewish people. So as an elder of the Jews, yet like my typical response to somebody like the centurion is to pray that their dog poops in their sandals or like they fall in the shower and break something, all right? Centurion would be hated by these people. So the fact that he goes to ask them for help makes no sense. But what, what's even crazier is, is we see next that they help. Like, they go to Jesus on this man's behalf, and he, here's what they say next. There we go. All right. Um, <laughs> it works, right? Okay. So, uh, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation, and he's built our synagogue. Right? So basically, like, like, this guy put up the cash for the construction of our church. You should do this for him, Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't address their logic, but he goes. Right? And as Jesus is on the way, this centurion sends word. He says, Jesus, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. I'm not worthy to have you in my home. You just say the word. You just say it, and I believe you're going to do it. Listen, before this man could sense that Jesus was present with him, before Jesus had done what he wanted Jesus to do, while he's still in the midst of the mess, the centurion chose Faith. Or if not the centurion, how about our next one? How about the Canaanite woman? Jesus and his disciples, they're trying to get away on retreat, right? They're trying to get alone, get away from ministry, people, drama. They're trying to get ready for Jerusalem and the cross, the crucifixion. Somehow, they've gone to this out-of-the-way place. Somehow, this Canaanite woman, she's discovered that Jesus is in town. And this woman, she is chasing after Jesus, trying to find him, and, and she's hollering after Jesus, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Like when your kid's not doing well, that again, that just tears you up as a parent. When you sense the dark forces of hell in your child's life actively at work, that is devastating. So this this woman comes to Jesus looking for help. And what does Jesus say? Well, initially, he didn't say anything. He ignores her. In fact, he ignores her for so long, eventually the disciples are like, Jesus, would you just say something? Like, send her away because she keeps crying out after us. Now, if that's not disturbing enough, it's going to get more so. And and listen, I wish we had time to unpack all the reasons why Jesus is going to respond the way that he is. We don't have time to unpack it all. Don't don't get lost in the weeds of Jesus' response here. Watch for the faith. Another another time, another sermon, we'll unpack it. So Jesus, he says this next to her. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, I'm here for Jewish people. You're a Canaanite. That is as un-Jewish as you can get. I'm not here for you. This woman, she's not taking no for an answer. She kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. To which he replies, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking... Did Jesus just call her a dog? Yes, he did. Now, again, please don't get lost in the weeds of why Jesus is responding the way he is. If you're like, i got to know today. Catch me out at Trunk or Treat. We can talk about it, all right? Look at the faith. Yes, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You call her what you want. This woman has faith. In fact, Jesus says to her, you have great faith. Listen, when Jesus seemed to be ignoring her, she still believed he was listening. When Jesus seemed cold and uncaring, she still believed he was good. In the midst of a divine response or a lack thereof, and all the confusion that can come with that, this woman chose faith. Or how about blind guy number one? Blind guy number one, he's the only person whose name we get. His name is Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus' story is this story of contrast. Like on one hand, you have all of these important elements. Yeah, you've got Jesus, he's important. He's the teacher, he is the miracle worker, he is standing up to the establishment. You have Jericho, Jesus is working through Jericho, on his way to Jerusalem, the two most important cities in Israel at the time. You have it's the Passover, this is the most important holiday on the Jewish calendar, and then you have Jesus heading to Jerusalem for what he knows is going to be the crucifixion, the pivot point in all of human history. You have all of these important elements. And then you have Bartimaeus, who characterizes everything that is unimportant. Bartimaeus is blind. In his culture, that means that God has cursed him for some sin that he's committed. Bartimaeus is poor. There's not a lot of opportunities for advancement in his world. And Bartimaeus is a beggar. He's dependent upon the generosity of others to just survive. Now, Jesus is making his way through Jericho. Everybody from town has lined the streets. They want to see Jesus. Maybe he'll perform a miracle. Maybe he'll say something incredible. Maybe he'll get in a fight with a Pharisee. Who knows? They're they're there to see him. Bartimaeus has figured out that Jesus is coming through town. And Bartimaeus starts hollering, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people who have lined the streets to watch this, here's how they respond. They rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Quiet. Now, that's a sanitized way of letting you know they told him to shut up. Shut up, you deplorable sinner. Who are you to call on the prophet? Shut up, you, you insignificant beggar. Who are you to interrupt his grand entrance? Shut up, your social inconvenience. Who are you to get in the way of what we're trying to watch? Just shut up. You're insignificant, you're undeserving, you're worthless, you're not good enough, you don't measure up, and you never will. So just shut it. Listen, when everybody and everything and maybe even his own thoughts are screaming at Bartimaeus that he is not worthy of God's caring concern, Bartimaeus chooses faith. In fact, we're told that the louder the louder and longer everybody tells him to shut it, the more he just calls out for Jesus. In fact, he calls out for Jesus until Jesus calls him to himself. And Jesus tells him, he says, Your faith has healed you. Now, if not Bartimaeus, then how about the woman who's bleeding? In one of Jesus's biographies, you have this woman who's been bleeding, and, and we're told that, she has, that she's been subject to bleeding, right? And we're told it's been going on for a long time. Now, we can't say dogmatically, but pretty good chance that the kind of bleeding she has makes her ceremonially unclean. That means she cannot participate in worship, the community of faith, the religious life, none of that. This would be like, you get sick today, right? This has been going on for 12 years for her. So you get sick today, and I tell you, you can't come to church, you can't go to small group, no trunk or treat for you, no, no religious life, nothing, and we will pick the conversation up again in 2034. And since we all know that doctors are really just overeducated individuals who make a living off the pain and suffering of others, it is no surprise that we read that she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And spent all that she had. And yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, never mind a little fun on my doctor's expense. This woman has been bleeding for better than a decade. And she's not bleeding less. She's bleeding more. But she hears, Jesus is going to be in town. And she believes, if I, if I just lean in, if I just touch him i'm going to be better Th- think about the faith there for a decade there's been no hope no good reason to hope for for 12 years she's gone from bad to worse and it just keeps getting worse She's exhausted all of the money. She's exhausted all of the options. Nobody can help her. And she still chooses to lean in and have faith. It had been so easy for her to pull away and just write God off altogether. But she chooses to rely on him. One more. Blind guy number two. John, in his biography of Jesus' life, captures the story of blind guy number two. And and at this point in in John's biography of Jesus' life, there's all this tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. Like, it's just spiking. And they are looking for a way to discredit Jesus or his ministry or just anything. What he's teaching, they are not down with. And then Jesus, like, does this thing to them that does not help. He heals a man who's been blind from birth. When you heal somebody who's blind from birth, that kind of, like, pushes your idea forward with the populace makes you more credible so the religious leaders they come up with a solution they bring this man who's been blind from birth into church and they're going to interrogate him try and get him to say something that will discredit the miracle or badmouth Jesus just something that'll help their cause and so they start interrogating they're like okay are you sure you're that guy who's blind pretty sure Pretty sure, right? Okay, how'd this happen? You're like, how'd Jesus make you see? Well, I mean, he put a bunch of mud on my face and my eyes, and he told me to go and wash, which I'd have probably done anyway, but after I washed, I could see. And they're like, okay, who do you say he is? Now, that's a loaded question. Because they've already agreed. They've already agreed. If anybody says, you know, hey, anyone who acknowledges Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. In other words, you say you're down with Jesus, we're putting you out of church. The man says, I say he's a prophet. Religiously, we're not making any progress with this guy. So they get his parents. And they drag his parents into church. They're like, okay, is that your kid? Was he born blind? How is it he can see now? And the parents, they know this. And they're afraid. So they punt. They punt. Yeah, that's our kid. I mean he sees you can see that he sees I, I don't know how he sees. You ask him, he's grown. They just push the kid right out there, you know, Center stage, right? We'll make another. I don't know, you know, if he, he So they go after the guy again. They're like, hey, you know, why just agree with us? Jesus is a deplorable sinner. Just just, just say he's no good. And the, and the formerly blind guy says this. I like this. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I, I, I don't know. Tell you what I do know. I was blind and I can see now. Now, the religious leaders, they don't like the logical implications that come with this. And so they, they, they're like, okay, come on, come on. Give us the story again. How, you you sure you were blind? How is it that you see now? And the blind man's had enough. He's like, listen, I already told you. I already explained this to you. Why do I need to tell you again? What, what, do you want to become his disciples now? (laughs) Uh, That sets the religious leaders off. And they start calling this man names that aren't on his birth certificate and accusing him of being this plant who was never really sick to begin with. And they try and get him to flip on Jesus. And he won't do it. You see, while everyone tells him Jesus is a fake and a fraud, While standing by Jesus is gonna get him disparaged and demonized. While holding tight to Jesus is gonna get him canceled. This man chooses faith. And I love I love the way he says it next. He says, we know, in other words, get ready. I'm gonna drop some of your own teaching on you. Let's see how you like the logic of it. He says, We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. You've been telling me this. We know, you've been teaching me, he listens only to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Therefore, a little bit of logic applied to your teaching, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Gang, sooner or later, life is going to hit every one of us in the mouth. That's right. Not if, but when. Bomb's going to fall out of the economy. We're going to lose a job. The finances are going to go sideways. Somebody, you, you, you thought that was my friend. And they proved themselves to be your enemy. A child is going to make a decision that you, you know this is going to destroy them. The diagnosis comes back and it's cancer. A natural disaster strikes. A marriage falls apart. Somebody you love dies. And in that moment, you're going to have to decide, how am I going to respond? How am I going to relate to God in light of this? And in that moment, the quality of our decision is going to determine the quality of our life In the crisis, and the quality of our lives moving forward. We don't have to wait for that moment to be upon us. We can pre-decide who we are going to be. We can pre-decide to be faithful because of who we long to be as followers of Jesus. Because of the legacy we long to leave for those who are coming after us. We we can follow the example of those who have gone before us. Who chose to trust God. To believe God. And to rely on God. No matter what. Like the centurion before God even comes through with what we want, we can choose to trust God, to believe God, and to rely on him no matter what. Like the Canaanite woman, when when God seems inattentive and uncaring and confusing, we can choose to trust him, to believe in him, and to rely on him no matter what. Like blind man, number one, like Bartimaeus, when we feel unworthy of God's goodness, we can choose to trust and believe and rely on God no matter what. Like the bleeding woman, when life is going from bad to worse with no hope in sight we can choose to trust and believe and rely on god like blind man number 2 when faith is going to get us disparaged and canceled we can choose to trust god to believe god to rely on god no matter what we can predecide to be faithful now faithful does not mean that all the pain goes away. Faithful does not mean that all the questions get answered. Faithful doesn't mean it all works out in the end. Faithful means that I'm going to trust God no matter how dark, no matter how confusing, no matter how painful this becomes, I'm going to trust that God knows what he is doing in letting this happen. I'm going to choose to believe that he still is who he says he is, that he's good, that he's loving, that he's present, that he's sovereign, even in the midst of the mess. My circumstances don't determine his character. And I'm going to choose to rely on him. I'm not going to pull back and deny him. I'm going to lean in even harder. Because faithful means I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to rely on him no matter what. and So, we're going to pray. And if today, if you're watching online, if you're here in the room, and you're a follower of Jesus, and you're going, you know what? Before the crisis comes, I need to pre-decide to be faithful. I want to pray with you as you commit yourself to that. And if you're here today, and you're following Jesus, and you are in the midst of the mess, and I know some of you are, and you're struggling to hold on to faith, I want to pray for you. And if you're here today, and you're not following Jesus, but you want faithful to be part of the legacy you leave behind, faithful starts with faith in Jesus. And so I'd love to pray with you. And see you cross that line of faith. So let's pray together and then we'll wrap things up. Father, thank you. Just for the example of those who have gone before us. Who chose faith. Father, for some of us right here, right now. While life is still good. Things are still manageable. We want to commit ourselves to being people of faith. People who will trust you, believe you, and rely on you no matter what. Father, some some of us, others of us, we're just in the midst of the mess right now. And we are struggling to hold on. God, help us to hold on even though we don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. God, help us to know you are who you say you are. God, help us to lean in and not pull away. And Father, for some of us, this, this marks the moment when we cross the line of faith. And so, Father, we just confess we are broken that we have sinned that we've made a mess we cannot fix ourselves we are powerless today we want to put our hope our faith our trust in Jesus Jesus who came and showed us the way Jesus who died to pay for our sin Jesus who you rose again from the grave to demonstrate everything he taught was true. It's to him we surrender ourselves. And all of us, we all pray this in his name. Amen.